Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Hello, Otterites, this is episode 118. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. And this week is pop culture. And uh, the guys let me squeeze this one onto the schedule here. Uh, Just kind of a brainstorm. You know, I almost never get to say that, squeeze that in. I think I'm going to have to go and start editing the Trello schedule and start sliding some of my you stuff should, in. There. Because you should, because I yes. say it a lot and you say it a lot. Yes, yes. Uh, put some although, stuff on the schedule. But Robert. you didn't have to squeeze this one hard. I was, I was all over this. Yeah, yeah. no, this is a good pop culture. We've talked about this uh, for a while now, and it just never really brought itself into fruition until yeah. now. Until well, just we had kind of a weak spot here, and we said, no, this one will be much better. Yeah. And, and so we pushed some things around, but this is, I'm calling this one, I'm Batman. Vigilantism in media. Yeah. Um, and we're talking all media. Right. Books, movies, TV. Yeah. It, because right. it, it, it's something that just winds its way through so many things. This right. idea of the person that takes the law into his or her own hands, which should be a person who should be reviled in society. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, sometimes we have this weird thing going on in our world here that someone who decides to punish criminals and some would say the way they deserve to be punished well, yeah. becomes a hero. Well, that, it's, right. the, it's the righteous anger attitude. Right. That's, that's the, what we nail. That's, that's what we, exactly we get it. That because, because in every case we're talking that, that come to, comes to mind for me, you know, the death, death with that. The death wish movies, the 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 executioner books. Yes. Uh, what, the Punisher uh-huh. from yes. comics and TV. These cases are people who got screwed over by the justice system. That's right. Yes, and they had no other recourse to get ju- what in their mind is justice yeah. than to go it alone and take out the people responsible. That's right. Yeah, and again, it's this is this idea goes all the way back to Batman uh, at the very minimum. No, I mean, no. even historical committees of vigilance and in lawless towns and things like that but in media it just strikes me you know batman the whole mythology around batman mm-hmm. is his vigilantism it's his parents are it killed is. he was a different type of hero he didn't have powers well let, let's let's back up here for a second you talk about different kind of hero yeah you know we're talking about a time when there are no there are other kinds. Yeah, i yeah. mean you know heroes are brand new yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah it's all brand so, new it's 1920 it's well, no, it's 1937 for yeah. Superman. It's 1939 for for Batman. Yeah, for Batman. Oh, that's right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you're so, late late 30s. Yeah. Uh, late, de- late 30s. Yeah. Late depression. Yeah. You know, heart yeah. of the depression before World War II. Right. Uh, and escapism has become something. But yeah, I mean, it's very very it. different from Superman. Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, Superman is goody two shoes. Space is uncovered. He's goody two shoes. He's an he alien. He works in the daylight. Yeah. yeah. You know, he is. Well, the alien thing. Uh, you know, that's not played up as much. Because he looks just like everybody. Yeah, yes. that was just a way to give him an origin. It really wasn't. It didn't become a great, great, wonderful part of his mythos until over time. Yeah, I, it, you know that was developed probably more so in the fifties than in the sixties right. than than later. But the point is, though, there's a stark contrast. Yeah, Superman who operates in the daytime, uh, you know, for truth, justice, and the American way. Right. Whereas Batman. Well, it's not specifically revenge against the man who murdered his parents. By proxy, it is. Right. Yes. It's going after all criminals, 
because it's time for them to be afraid of someone. Right. Criminals yes. are a dark, superstitious, cowardly lot, as it said in the very first, uh, you know, Detective yes. Comics twenty-seven. Uh, that was that was Gil Kane and Bill Finger Not bringing Bill Kane. the character. Did, did I say Bill Kane? Bob Kane and Bill Finger, yeah, <laughs> creating the character and putting that mythos together that survived. You know, because you know this was the beginning of the costume superheroes in comics, and there were oodles of them in the forties. Yes, uh, all over first half of the forties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it they most of them did not survive into the fifties. Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman were some of the notable exceptions. Well, the, the ones who survived, uh, it's its not so much the characters didn't survive mm-hmm. uh, so much as it is, there were just too many publishers. Well, yeah, that's right. And Because there are a lot of great characters that ought to have survived, that oh. really deserve to. I mean, you look at the, cap, the original Captain Marvel, Shazam Captain Marvel. Yeah. That's a character uh, whose company just failed. Right. And eventually that property was bought up by DC, and yet they failed to renew the copyright and Captain Marvel became the name of a Marvel character. Because right. you know, if you're Marvel and you see that thing come up and it doesn't get renewed, oh hell yes you're going <laughs> to yeah. grab that. We'll, we'll, we'll work that one out, which yeah, is what we'll they figure did. Out they how created to somebody around that. So, which, you know, but you're right, there's all kinds and you know, a lot of them are in that Batman mold in that uh, they are unpowered. You know, just like Daredevil. I mean, he's got powers, but he's physically, he's a normal guy who has just trained his body to peak perfection, sure. just like that. And there were so, and there were several of those in the forties as well. Yes. Spy, uh, the spy, angel. Sp- yeah, spy Smasher. Yes, yeah, Spy Smasher. Uh, yes. And Captain Scarlet and Pinky Bull were going mm-hmm. way obscure. Those were Fawcett characters. Yeah. Uh, that were attempting to cash in on what DC's successes were uh, at the time with the Batman characters and, and a few other of the Justice Society. Uh, and it, it just some sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes the powers would fade, and realism kind of came into vogue, I think, later, by the time the 60s came in, with the Marvel age. Well, you want, you added, want more of a realistic approach. Well, you added the element of realism in the sense that it was set in the in the real world. In the real world, yeah. It was set in New York City, not Gotham. Right. Or Metropolis. And the characters had problems. And they had problems. Which we didn't have that before. And it was, I think, and that was a slow burn towards the idea of let and the late 60s with Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams with the Batman character after the camp of the TV series when they yeah. remade that that the late 60s had some sort of a and I think Vietnam had a lot to do with it as you've said many times Martin you're seeing body bags come back yeah. on the TV every night this this high fantasy uh, escapism doesn't satisfy anymore. It's not realist anymore. And the comics code is a hampering factor at this point. Yeah. And um, in many respects, a lot of the vigilantism that would come rises in the paperback or the mu- or the magazine right. eras because right. those don't aren't restricted. And right. what used to be in the fifties, the detective stories have yes. morphed into at first the spy stories, and then eventually, with in nineteen sixty eight. Uh, a character of uh, an author by the name of Don Pendleton writes the Executioner series. You could say before you go on that, just, yes. just tie it back to the fifties. You know, this we talked about in the show prep how you can trace this back in, in lots of genres. But you know, uh, you could probably make a good argument uh, that film noir uh, directly comes into this. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yes. because Batman goes through that stage of they call him the detective, right? And right, detective comics. I mean, yeah, that's the that's, whole point. That, that, yeah. That's, so 
And one of his adversaries is doesn't Ra's al Ghul always call him the detective? Right. That um, was a little later. That was in the yeah. seventies. So right? it becomes that. But you're right. You draw this line, then Batman is this outlier. Mm-hmm. But as society changes in the sixties, again, Kennedy assassination, then Robert, then Doctor King, yeah. and the country seems to be pulling itself apart. Right. You know this whole well, truth, justice, and the Am- yeah, right. We don't know where we're going, and then you get again the executioner in '68. Yes, and that very successful line of books. So it, it changed publish paperback publishing forever. At the, it wasn't long lasting, but it did. It was. Yeah. It was. It enough, after that, everybody wanted to do that because Pendleton's books sold gozillions of copies. Right. And, and the backstory for those of you not familiar with, with the executioner, he's a Vietnam vet, comes home, his family's. He's killed by mobsters. Well, it's as a result of a mobster. His father ends up getting in debt. Uh, his his sister, his father gets, gets in debt. He's a working class guy in Massachusetts. Uh, his sister gets involved with the mob, selling herself to pay off the father's debt because it's a it's a loan shark operation. Yeah. And when the father finds out, he kills himself, his wife, and his daughter, and the other brother who barely survives. Bolin himself is in Vietnam at the time. He's a sniper. He's an assassin. A very good one. And he comes home to find out what happens. And that begins a trail of vengeance against the mafia. This is a few years before Mario Puzo and the Godfather. So there's... But uh, there, I mean, it primes that the name pump. is known. Oh, I yes, mean, it it's, is. It's it, post it, the Keith Offer Crime Commission. That's correct. And, and it was a it, lot it of made a very convenient villain... And it was, and this is, the series is very, very bloody. But it's done from the character's perspective, and this is Pendleton, the original writer, as a moral force for good, who is taking out what he would call Animal Man, that savage beast that, that well, good people half are afraid of and can't do anything about. Well, I think that defines that's it. All yes. of this. That's right. You go back yes. to that's Batman. Why the, yep. You talk about because in the show prep, I talked about how. You can trace these back directly to the Western. The Westerns, that's right. It's a different genre. Mm-hmm. You talk about Shane, the Searchers. You talk about all kinds of different. Uh, you know, John Wayne was probably in half of them. <laughs> you know, but it these, is a it is a different. It's well, a flip on the Western from. Well, but it's the usual one where you, you usually you get a, a badge. Well, not always in the though. But, you know, the the point is though, you've got somebody who has upended things for mm-hmm. somebody else. Yeah. Now sometimes in the in the Westerns. It's somebody taking out revenge or, or getting justice. Right. Because, again, this is somewhat... Um, balancing uh, the scales. Is, balancing, for whatever that looks like. It's somewhat nebulous as far as who's the wrong party and who's right. getting it uh, done. But there's always somebody who is who is making sure that justice is done in these stories. It's very much uh, speaks to the American uh, culture and that, you know, we, all, we always want to believe that uh, right and good comes out on top. Yep. And when you get to... The 60s, where everything is upended, uh, societally, culturally, politically, nothing seems to be where the good right. is coming yeah. out on top. And, 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 so, and there's a frustration with the American people that things aren't fixing. That's why the extreme violence uh, in books like The Executioner and The Punisher and and uh, Death Wish and all those yeah, others, that's there. a change. Well, it's... It was sanitized a lot before that. Yeah. And, oh, yes, absolutely. And, and, but, yeah. but the, the Batman frustration... Batman not use a gun. That's correct. Well, well, well he did it in, at first. He did it first. <laughs> he did. He yeah, did. Yeah. If you look at some of those early ones that he did. But that was... 
DC trying to... But again, to, that sanitization... Their uh, sanitization because kids are buying this in the 50s. That was the intention. Yeah. I, I think it happened in the 40s. Yeah, it, it was still... It, it, they did it fairly early on because of the kids. Right. But the, the thing about uh, the violence, the, I think the reason why the violence takes root, why it is so big, is because it's cathartic. Exactly. That's, that's, that's because the whole it, it, point. I yes. am working my way around this like circling the damn drain right. and you do it in a second. That's exactly it. That's what I was trying yeah, to get at. We're, we're, we needed it at the time. That's why the damn things sold so much yeah. and became so popular. Well, it felt like the criminals had ratcheted up the violence first. Correct. That's yes. right. Whether that's real it was or not. Re, it was a reactionary that thing. That was our feel. Yeah. Um, the bad guys are winning. Well, it's because it was all over television. That's Whether right. the bad guys were in Vietnam or whatever, if it bleeds, it leads. That's so correct. So everything that was negative is going to make the news. Yes. And there's there's very specific things happening, too. There's Escobedo court decision, Miranda court decision, and there was just this feeling that the bad guys can win and there's nothing law enforcement can do about it. A, a real touchstone film of that is Dirty Harry. I was, Even though it's not a vigilante story I, per se. I was hoping you would mention that because it was very reactionary against Miranda. It's yes. very clear yes. uh, at that time. And it was basically the cop who doesn't act like the cops are supposed to act because he gets the job done. Yeah. Uh, well, and it, yeah, it, just because he's a cop doesn't mean he's not a vigilante. Correct. In that and that's, sense. And well, the first movie, which I still think is the best of all oh, the ones yes, that he is. did. Uh, it's amazingly powerful with uh, a, a supremely good villain uh, played by uh, Andy Robinson. Andy Robinson, who played Garak on a Deep Space Nine. Oh my gosh, that's right. Yeah, it's right. A, a very young role for him. And oh my god, it's creepy and awful. Scorpio. He is. Oh yeah, he was amazingly good. Uh, and uh, that character, and you know, and I'm not going to go into Dirty Harry for God's sakes. If you haven't seen it, you should. But it's emblematic. Of yeah, all this I mean, stuff it, is, it, it we, is we, a, we are taking back the, the justice from the crazy people who we can't seem to stop. Right. And so, then the next signpost, when you go from Dirty Harry, is Death Wish, 1974. It's loosely based on a 1972 novel, but Charles, Brand, uh, Charles Bronson is a mild-mannered Manhattan architect who loses his family to yeah. thugs and says, well, here we go. And again, that ratcheting up that violence because it's it was very personal as a home invasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that over seven dollars. It's that same template that Mac Bolan had, that Frank Castle, the Punisher had, and that right because it, it's about losing well, your family. The Punisher comes. I'd have to check the date, but I want to say that's like 1973. So I think it yeah, may actually. Uh, be a precursor to right. Death Wish, that's, but it's the same kind it's, of it's thing. It's the same kind of thing. Same People zone. get that yeah. this yeah. great wrong that has been done yeah. Yeah. to this powerful individual who has the ability to make a difference, although was re- may perhaps reluctant to do so until the catalyst happens. It's the, it's the same template in many respects, yeah. Yeah. and it resonated. Right. So you know, there, there are a, a huge string of movies in the seventies because again, the seventies are all about that realism thing. You know, we're right. all set in the here and the now, and this vigilanteism. I think feeds on that desire for getting everything back the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, the, the late 60s and the 70s, nothing seemed to go right. Right. You know, everything was screwed up. And so yeah. those kind of movies waned in popularity once you get to the 80s when prosperity seems to have returned. You know, so that's an. They're still there, but it's not that lone wolf going right. out and they they morph a bit. Yes. And, and mm-hmm. there's there's some. There's some transition to that too, because you take 
a character in, uh, like John Rambo, which, uh, which Stallone does in 1980 as the Vietnam veteran. The Vietnam veteran theme runs through a lot of this because there was that frustration for many people in the country that we should not have lost that war, but we did. And that kind of is something that plays forward. Well, there's also that frustration with uh, people who, who with the with the soldiers that came home to be spat upon. Exactly, it was all part you of know, that. There was no welcoming parades Very for much those so. guys, and, and they were scorned right. by their peers. Mm-hmm. And the, the the executioner dealt with that early on, but when you take it to the mass media, it was John Rambo with First Blood, an excellent, excellent movie yeah. uh, with Sylvester Stallone. Brian Rick, Dennehy. Brian Dennehy, the late Brian Dennehy, uh, who was based yeah. on a, a novel by David Morrell, who, which, which was really brilliant. It was all about that Vietnam veterans not being accepted in his own country. And uh, it was, and the last 10 minutes of the movie, you guys have probably, I know you've seen it. Yeah. Uh, you know, Stallone doesn't say much throughout, but he has this breakdown at the very end. The man should have won an Oscar to say that Stallone, you know, it was just incredible. And it, he gives voice to the frustration of a nation in many respects who didn't want to lose and had to and were not respected because of the, you know, I, I do this for all the guys who came over here and spilt their guts and gave everything that they had. I want our country to love us as much as we love it. That's from the second movie. But that's kind of, a, a, and that's where the morph comes in because you take this defeated Vietnam veteran and in the 80s during the Reagan time, you realize we can go and kick some ass on this. We need to ex- kind of explode this out. And then you get Rambo First Blood Part Two, where it says, we're just going to rewrite the damn history <laughs> and we're going to go over there. We're going to get our boys back. And that movie was a powerful cathartic moment in 85 for well, and that's only ten years after the end of the war. That's too, exactly right. Which, when we are first watching it, you know, it, it seems so much farther in the past. But when you then when you start thinking about the actual timeline, yeah, you know, First Blood is only five years after the end of the war. That's right. That is that's a you know a and, flick and of and the fingers. And to deal with that so hard, so quickly afterwards, most people didn't want to talk about it anymore. But people, right. But that movie says, oh God, maybe we should. Yeah. And that's kind of where they said, well, you know, let's. And he kind of moves off. It's really interesting. The, the Rambo First Blood Part Two was an amazingly powerful movie that made oodles and oodles of money. And Stallone was involved with it. And it, I mean, he did all of them, but it was he was very tight with David Morrell, wrote the damn screenplay, who wrote the first book. Yeah. So it was kind of in there. And it, it ended with, okay, we've, we've got our vengeance now. And after that, all the movies they made after that, it was like, well, we've got this action star. Let's bring him in here. Yeah. And the, it's the not, stuff it, set in it, Afghanistan. It, 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 it was, know, I, I, watched, I rewatched Rambo 3 recently expecting, let's see. And it was awful. It wasn't bad. I mean, it was not b- badly made. But I'm thinking, this does not have the emotional punch. Well, it's the because it's, the setting is all wrong. It's, it's all disconnected. It's all disconnected. It doesn't mean anything yeah. anymore. That's so right. there was no real reason to do it other yeah. than a cash. And, you know, and of course, that all these Chuck Norris makes a whole career basically on the same thing. That's mm-hmm. right. Uh, Invasion USA is kind of a, even Delta Force is kind of a vigilante. Well, sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. sanctioned vigilante. And all of this, though, you you started to talk about this transition, uh, how things morph and when we we spend the, the the late 60s and the 70s basically hating on ourselves yeah and some of that is with these movies because the system has, screws over all of these guys you know death wish is the is the yeah. best example yeah. of that because yeah. uh-huh. uh, as well as the punisher in the comics which which i want to get to more yes i want um, to do i want to do you know and we get to the point where 
we realize, I think, that we got to stop hating on ourselves. Yeah, that's right. It's self-destructive, mm-hmm. you know, and it's great to see that that cathartic uh, bit because you think, finally, somebody's getting something back. Yeah, something's uh-huh. getting done. But as the national mood changes, the the vigilante isn't a vigilante. We don't call them vigilantes anymore. They become anti-heroes, yeah. Yeah. which is basically just a bad boy, good guy at, at its best. Uh-huh. And... Then they become, it just the whole thing just starts subtly changing, especially with the influence of comics and movies as we move, progress farther into modern times. Yeah. Because all comic books are about vigilantes. None, because by definition, a vigilante is somebody who is not law enforcement taking the law into their own hands. Yeah, even Spider Man's a vigilante. Spider Man is a vigilante, and J. Jonah Jameson. He, That's why he hates him? He yeah. hates him. Well, yeah. he hates him because he thinks is you know he's responsible for. Uh, things happening to his son and other things, yeah. but yeah, you know, but he hates him because he's outside the law. Right. You know, Jameson is is a law and order kind of guy, and most Americans respect that. Yeah. We like law and order. We do, not just the TV show. And the idea that there's somebody who is working outside the system is both thrilling and cathartic, as well as a little uncomfortable. Uh, oh, at various yeah. times, you know, yeah. and I think the '70s it becomes probably too uncomfortable, and so it starts to morph. Yeah, and that's where you all of a sudden have government sanctions for these yeah. guys. Yeah, going yeah. Out and, and doing and stuff even like the that. second Dirty Harry film, yeah, pulls back from that concept because there really is inside the police force they're executing criminals in the street. Yeah, and and Harry pulls back and says, well, "But what's next? Are you going to shoot people for jaywalking?" Um, yeah, so, that is next. Yeah, it, it really, really is. is. And so even though there's this empathy with these characters, we also know there's a danger to them as well. Yes. So you've got to either rehabilitate them or sometimes kill them off. Yeah. You know, uh, which, so, but when they make a lot of money... To, you've got to come to terms with that character, right. even though they're sympathetic. Frank Castle's a very sympathetic character. He is. And you know his, his story sounds very much like... Uh, the, the Death Wish story, but like I said, I think it's 73. I'd have to go back and look at the copyrights and the, yeah. the publication dates. They might be... Publisher, Punisher might have come after. I don't remember. It's From the issue numbers, I'm pretty sure it's 73. Yeah. But again, don't remember. But Castle's... Uh, he's an FBI agent? No, he's he's a Vietnam vet. A Vietnam vet. Uh, oh, okay. The similarities so with the executioner are, are stark. Okay, so they, <laughs> they, they flipped that and changed that as they did later adaptations. So, yeah, so he is, he's, he's a Vietnam vet. He comes back, and, you know, he, he has a hard time adjusting. So he's got his family, and they're out at Central Park at the zoo or whatever the, the thing is uh, there for the families to go yeah. to. And there's a mob hit. Because, again, this is before they start calling it the mafia. It's the mob. Right, yeah. Uh, or, as they call it in, in uh, Marvel, the Magia. Uh, yeah, in, yeah, that's right. In the yes. late seventies, because uh, I guess they just didn't want to piss off the, uh, uh, <laughs> the Mario Puzo or any of the the actual mafia. Yeah. Uh, Nothing Mario Puzo is related to the mafia, just for no, him. No. You know. So, anyways, his family is gunned down as uh, collateral damage in a mob hit on somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yes. So this is not even violence directed towards his family. Right. They are collateral damage in a mob hit. So he goes nuts. Mm-hmm. And he uses his skills to become the puncher. He wears that that death skull because uh, he wears. Obviously, he's got his his uh, uh, costume, mm-hmm. and 
he is going to take vengeance on all criminals. So it's very much like Batman in that respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, only, you know, his is it's even more pathetic, you know, in the the sad sense, not the pitiful sense. Yeah. You know, not the, um, uh, you know, God, what a loser sense. No, no. You know, because he didn't lose. <laughs> well, he did. He lost his family. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he, it, yeah. but not in the the you know not what a schmuck kind of sense. Yeah. You know. At least Bruce Wayne has, has, you know, his family died directly. They were the object of the the, the violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his is even worse because the they were the innocent bystanders. Right, and throughout his portrayal throughout the the seventies and into the early eighties, starts going back and forth. You know, uh, for a while there, he's using rubber bullets, mm-hmm. and he's not actually killing the, the the criminals. He's taking them in. And then he decides at one point that, you know, now i got to go back to, to killing them. And so there, there's this waffling because mm-hmm. of the sensibilities of, well, do you really want to make this guy a hero or not? Because right. if he's going to kill people, Spider-Man's got to take him in. Because right. he starts out as a Spider-Man villain. Right. Yes. Or antagonist. Let's yeah. put it that way. Right. right. And, and, he, and, and he morphs to other Marvel. Yes. You know, Captain America fights the Daredevil and all different things. But he doesn't have his own book for a long, long time. Not until 85 uh, when his uh, miniseries comes out. That's right. And, which was groundbreaking in many ways. It was a six-issue miniseries by Mike Zeck and John Beatty. Five. Five, yes. Uh, they decided maybe this guy can carry his own book. And it was a phenomenal seller. It yeah. was huge. And they said, yeah. really? Uh, this uh, Because it tapped into a more adult question. Like, we don't always want our superheroes to not kill. Right. And so, all at the same time as this is going on, uh, this, you know, 83, 84, 85, 86, this general time frame, you've got uh, Frank Miller's Daredevil in the comics. Right. Which is taking a little bit of a dark turn. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you know, you've got the, the death of Electra by Bullseye. Which right, is which was watershed, groundbreaking. Yeah, you just don't do that. I mean, that was just phenomenal. Uh, I just can't talk enough about what that comic meant to the industry. Uh, then you've got uh, the Wolverine miniseries by uh, Frank Miller, Frank Miller oddly again. enough, yeah. and Chris Claremont, and it's his first solo series. Yeah, and it's a four-issue miniseries, and you see the the the, the wild slash animal side. Outside of the superhero set, right? You get you get blood, you get violence. It's really, really yeah. heavy duty, and it's not backed away from. No, and uh, and then you get Batman: The Dark Knight Returns for DC. You get Dark Knight Returns again. Frank Miller. Frank Miller again. Yeah, I mean, exactly. he's not the the entire backing of this, but you have this turn to uh, a, a little bit more realistic approach on things, in that you know, if you really had vigilantes out there, they're gonna they're gonna be killing more people than. Than you've been shown. That's right, and they, it's kind of. Like, it's going to be harsher, and that's the thing. So we dark. There's going to be more collateral damage. Yes. In the Fantastic Four, almost nobody dies. That's right. In the Punisher, a lot. Everybody dies. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. all the collateral. Yeah, damage. and that, and they came up, and it's it was they did a they did the one miniseries. Did they do a second one? I think. Yes, there. Were, yeah, there were several miniseries. Miniseries. They said, was this really a thing? And finally, they come out and make the Punisher an ongoing series. And before long, he's got like two or three going on. Yeah. And, and you know, it, uh, as with all things that you know, they stop, they start. Yes, it, tons of miniseries, even while the regular series are going on, yeah, because he's they, incredibly popular. Yeah, they they sell like mad. And uh, this is an interesting thing for this one. I think is more interesting. Why is he popular at this particular time? Yeah, because you've got a time where. Uh, Things are going great for the country. And you're talking about the late 80s, you know, mid to late 80s. The economy is booming. Uh, the president is very popular, contrary to what, you know, historians want to rewrite uh, by today's standards. 
uh, you know, even George Bush wins a, a, a near landslide uh, election yeah. in his his term, yeah, yeah, yeah. and this is this is the the setting, and yet this antihero, like the Punisher, is wildly popular, and it doesn't fit the popular culture for some reason. Right. So it's some it's tapped into something very deep and dark, I think. Yeah, and I don't know if it's the same. Uh, dissatisfaction because I don't know that as many people were feeling screwed over by, either by the government or anybody else at this particular time. It may have been a maturing of the audience that well, was I, comic buying comics. Well, I think it's kind of similar to what bit. went on in the '60s and, and going on into when we hit 1970 and the in the in the movie changes. Yeah. In that, it's that rebellion. You know, it's the bad boy that, yeah, that you want a, to identify. There's with. a couple of things. You know. We became inured to the violence. Yes. So when you ratcheted it up well, with the Punisher, well, it's like he became the exemplar, the, the, you know, the really outlier, and everybody glommed onto that. But just to clean it up, uh, yes, 1974 is Punisher's first appearance. Okay, so it's fairly contemporary with the Death Wish. But Death Wish, and Jerry Conway admits it's almost a direct rip of yeah, the executioner. Executioner, yeah, not yeah. penalties. It was a huge fan of. Yes, Jerry Conway was the uh, the writer. Uh, Ross Andrew should have been the artist, if I'm if I remember correctly. Uh, I think he was doing uh, Spider Man at that time. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, so I don't think it was Gil Kane anymore. I think he was done by then. I was gonna say yeah. It's, uh, uh, Jerry Conway and John Romita Senior and Ross Andrew. Okay, so Andrew was inking then. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Uh, it's Romita, I believe. John, yeah, thank you, John Romita. So, although I could be wrong, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure. <laughs> that, well, we're giving him credit. We like to give creators absolute, credit here. Absolutely, Correct. especially yeah. those are some greats. Yeah, they were. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those. Yeah, those are those are near Mount Rushmore comic guys. They are. Um, so, so you're right. You bring up a neat question. Is why does this continue to fascinate us? Because again, this it would seem like that window of the '60s, again coming out of the riots and the disorder and assassinations and court cases that seem to give criminals an edge. Uh-huh. We're used to that now. We should be okay. Well, I mean, and some of it now. was redressed, but not all. Right. You know, and there was the the RICO Act attempting to you know again to rein in the the mafia and the, the that kind of organized crime. Right. So there's things going on to address that, but yeah, it's still it's well, still and, grabs and, us. Well, yeah, because uh, <coughs> the vigilante uh, when the mafia stories would wane mid seventies, late seventies. Yes. The, but all those. Uh, vigilantes would be retooled to fight somebody else. Mac Bolan finishes with uh, in around 1977 with the Mafia, and he goes in to fight the KGB. Well, you know, that's, I'm, I'm glad you uh, brought that because that is, uh, and maybe this is part of that change. In popular novels, you have that, and maybe he's responsible for it uh, for that particular change, but. If you look at all of the popular uh, spy slash thriller mm-hmm. novels, it's one guy. Yeah. Always there's one man. With a vision. <laughs> With a vision. Um, sorry, I had to bring that in. We haven't done that in a while. Okay. Um, but there's always that one guy who's that super soldier kind of guy. Not in the Steve Rogers aspect, but by the so highly trained, he is the best of the best. That's right. Yeah, uh, as, as Wolverine would put it, he's the best there is at what he does. Right. And he's always fighting insurmountable odds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the most part, those novels are because he's fighting for, for country. Right. He, he's, he's a patriot most times. 
And so that's a whole new thing that I think has grown out of this vigilante right, yeah. then you thing. Because you're still taking that one guy against insurmountable odds. In many ways, the vigilante is another uh, another way of portraying the hero's journey. Uh, and of course, the last 20 years, it's all been flipped to be terrorists. Terrorist. Well, terrorists, yes. Terrorists. Yes. I mean, that's right. Harveth and... Mm-hmm. That's right. Those are outgrowths of that same thing. That that uh, one Brad Thorsker character, right. yeah. yeah, that are that are fighting whatever that is. I mean, with the fall of the, with the fall of the Soviet Union, all of a sudden you don't have any KGB stories anymore. Mm-hmm. Cold War ends. A lot of the men's adventure stuff went belly up after that. The spy novels, you just didn't do that. They had to be reinvented for a new day uh, in the nine. Right. Yeah. What's James Bond going to do without? Because well, I, mean, right. I mean, Spectre is you know. It, it, it was Fleming's attempt to realize we can't do this stupid Russian thing forever because the first right. seven But that only becomes were, believable for so long. That's correct. Know, and it know, kind yeah. of becomes a caricature after a time. Right. I mean, you can have that kind of organization in the comics like uh, like AIM yeah. and uh, Hydra. Hydra and the, the Magia yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it's comics. Right. But when you put it in the real world setting, you know, some of the stuff is like, well, that doesn't make any sense. How can they still be around? The government should have gone to war against these guys and wiped them out. Right. So, yeah... At some point, you know, you've got to fight somebody besides those guys. Right. Um, is see, that how it manages to stay popular? Is you just change the bad guy? I think there's a lot of it. Yeah, there is. Think, some, yeah. There is something to the fact of going out and blowing the shit out of something that is a cathar- a safe catharsis way for readers to really kind of feel like righteousness prevails. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. There's a universal a way appeal to, to that righteous, because a lot of times the um, the vigilante, you know, the law enforcement, the authorities, I didn't see anything kind of deal. Well, you know, sometimes Frank they, Castle walks away. Yeah, well, yeah. Paul Kersey walks away. Well, yeah. Castle doesn't always walk away. I mean, he is still in hunted the, by the, the police. In the film adaptations, he basically Well, yeah, I, I, I'm not spending a whole lot of time. There, that, that was not terribly popular. But, right, yeah. you know. Well, the, Bob, the best Punisher was really the, the most recent one on Netflix. It was. It was. Fantastic. John Bernthal. Yeah, he my, was fantastic. He, I mean, they try. I mean, it, it, you might want to point out, too, we had three failed Punisher movies. Yeah, there's three film adaptations. Which never Dolph did, Lundgren. Dolph uh, Lundgren. And Thomas then Thomas Jane. Jane. Yes. And, and which he should have been a good one. Uh, he he was good, but the story was sucky, sucky, sucky. They 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 neutered the character so much where he wouldn't kill almost. I'm thinking, yeah, wait see a minute, that, you can't do the you can't do that way. way. You can and, only do that in the comics. That's right. And Thomas Jane's a fantastic actor, and he kind of got screwed over on that. Yeah. And I never saw the Ray Stevenson one, which is a shame because it was supposedly it's hyper violent. Well, that's that was the attempt. They realized and, you've got to do that. Maybe that's the problem with that one. You know, you have to balance the hyper violence for violence' sake is only going to appeal to a small number of people. Right. You got to have a good story to go with it. Right. So there's got to be a reason. Even for the... you know, one of the greatest Christmas movies, Die Hard. <laughs> there we go. Absolutely. Yes. You know, has violence a lot of violence sometimes for violence' sake. You could argue, but there's still a point to that. He's trying to rescue his wife. Right. Uh, so that's why you know, we don't call that one a vigilante movie because he was not wronged personally in that. Right, uh, but it's got a lot of the same. But it's got a lot of the same. Yes, it yes. does. It's got a yeah. lot of the same. Even though elements. he's law enforcement, he's not in his jurisdiction. Right, right. and I mean, he's so you can morph that vigilante a lot of different ways, yeah. uh, you know, and still come up with the one guy that can. That's why that I say does. it's 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 it has a, owes a lot to the hero's journey type of yeah. story. Very it's much very so. Very malleable. Yeah. You change the bad guy, yeah, uh-huh. and you can still make it work. John McClane in Die Hard is very much the same character as Ethan Edwards in The Searchers, just not as uh, twisted in many ways. 
But it's still the same thing. One guy, or in that case two, going out and doing what nobody else can do. So before we get into, I think, what we need to discuss, it's kind of the elephant in the room, which is the superhero in the, the movies, uh, vigilanteism. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of your starting point anyways. Yeah, I'm Batman. Batman. You take it from, I'm Batman, and then you, you again, there's this moment in the late 60s that's so pivotal to these stories and what brings them back into our consciousness. And then where we are now, MCU, DCEU, or whatever it's all called. But first... We need a bourbon break. Bourbon bourbon break. break. That's right. Yeah, sorry to jump on your your captain's prerogative there, but we didn't want to get. He's captain. You're captain. Yes, sorry. Sorry. No, no, you perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, I poured some of your Knob Creek nine year old. Yes. This is part of that three pack. You cracked it. I didn't know that. Well, technically, I cracked it. Well, yeah, the host. Yeah, but I let him. Pull the wax off. Oh yeah. Um, oh well, I, yeah. I didn't. I didn't. Yes, I've not herb. had this one yet. Superb. Nine yeah. years is a. People may not realize this, but nine years is a long time to age your That's bourbon. a big investment. Yeah, a big investment is. to leave it in the barrel nine years. But um, this is one I think I, I need to try and eat and, and get. But it mellows out super with, with some ice. So where does the uh, that that uh, sensory explosion happen for it? Uh, this is um, a little bit in the throat, okay, but so smooth. You just, I mean, just none of that sharpness is happening. Um, just a very mellow chew, very mellowed out. Um, you know, some sweetness into it. It's good, very good. Excellent, excellent. So, Knob Creek nine year old Claremont, uh, Nelson County. Absolutely. Uh, interesting enough, Knob Creek is where Lincoln lived. Yes. On, on, on Knob Creek. That's, yes. that's what they're naming it after. They're kind yeah. of putting that together there, which is kind what of cool. What have you got, Francis? Uh, I'm still drinking a little bit of uh, Hank Williams Jr.'s favorite, Jim Beam, the Black Label Small Batch. Uh, I liked it so well last time I had to go back to it again because uh, it was a new one for me. I had never had that before. So and, Yeah, I, I still think that is a surprisingly uh, yeah, a yes. nice surprise. It is, nice exactly. Surprise. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to... Uh, because I know, I know Robert really just like jumped. I was, I was shocked at his, at his original reaction to it, and I'm, I'm kind of savoring. Well, that. so unexpected. That, that's that's right, and that's why I said, you know, hey, I got to get a little of that. So, so actually, I've already finished off the one that I had because uh, it was so good. So uh, back in our early bourbon days, uh, besides the Basil Hayden, uh, which is what we right. uh, started and cut our teeth on in our bourbon drinking, uh, we did a lot of 1792. Yes, and. I had uh, an unopened bottle, 1792 small batch. So one of the things you have to understand about uh, bourbons, most of the time you see something like small batch on it, that means, it's a, first of all, it's a limited run, and it's a special bourbon. At least mm-hmm. it's supposed to be. Right. And it's supposed to be a, a notch above the rest of the stuff. Yeah. So this was, again, like any 1792, this one was always a favorite. We just have not visited that we just have in a yeah. long time. Yeah, that was one it's of the best. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. Um, it, it, it's uh, got a bit more bite than uh, some of the ones we've been drinking of late, but it smooths out very nicely. Uh, it hits the very top of the back of your throat, right there where your Adam's apple is. Mm-hmm. Um, good, good. And you know, it doesn't overpower you in any way. Uh, of course, I had it with that one, one ice cube, so it's uh, chilled with a little bit of uh, uh, dilution. And 
it, I really liked uh, the taste. It was, it was nice. It was, uh, you know, brought back, uh, you know, remembered that taste. It, you know, had fond memories of uh, sitting in the Sherwood. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, drinking bourbon after uh, uh, after an uh, evening at Gethsemane for that's right. Francis that's, and I. That's, that's really done that. uh, okay. Of course, you drove down separately most of the time we did that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, met us there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was just, it's just, a, it is a the good old Sherwood. bourbon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a, a you know nice little bar in uh, in New Haven there, uh, right there at the corner of. It's on it's uh it's on Main Street right there at the railroad tracks. Right, right, yeah, it's only, right that side of the railroad tracks. The only right. bar we've ever been in that plays the History Channel on the television. That's right, that's correct. We did. Yes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it was our kind of joint. It Absolutely. really was. Well, I mean, not the, sports. The first time I ever saw the movie Apocalypse Now was there. Believe it or not, <laughs> when it was shown on television, uh, and uh, I was the more I drank, the better it got. <laughs> yes. Well, a lot of things have that. Effect. That's right. Yes. Uh, so seventeen ninety two. Yeah, yeah. Seventeen ninety two small batch uh, is another good one. Good stuff. Uh, really belongs on anybody's shelf. Uh, it's one that uh, I want to keep in my rotation. I tend to keep more bottles than, than you guys do, although True. you keep a fair amount. I Francis. do, I do. I have been um, keeping more and more. I Martin like to keeps have, one or two mainly. And, and I like to have them. three or four minimum, and uh, and I keep adding occasionally. Yeah. So if we if, if I could ever get ahead of us, <laughs> we yeah. keep drinking them. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm we'll counting that. on you guys the next time we're at Studio M. you got to finish off at least something for me. Okay. <laughs> so, so I can have an excuse to go buy some more. I, I was going to say, because you, you won't I've, buy another one until we finish. I've also got, got a- ammunition expenses here, so... So, yeah, well, true. Yes. So I gotta kind of balance what do I want to put money into, bourbon or bullets? That's a tough choice. It's a tough choice. It's right. Over this weekend, I've been I chose bullets because uh, Knob Creek actually had some uh, ammo available. At yes, Knob Creek is the gun range in this case, not, not the bourbon <laughs> or the actual creek itself. Yeah, where yeah, actual, grew up. Yeah, yeah. So, we're, so we're just all over the place with this one. It, actually, not two terrible prices. So. I, I, Invested in about five boxes of ammo over the weekend. Nice. And how many boxes did you shoot? Uh, probably three or four different calibers. Yeah. Okay. But uh, trying to stock up on that. Right. Months. You still came out ahead that that number of uh, rounds. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's that's always a plus too. You know, you enjoy yourself and still come back with more than you started with. Yes. Yes. And you know, you got to stock up. It's tough to stock up right now. It's it's very short. Yes, the, you know we've talked about it in the past somewhat, but you know uh, the the whole COVID shutdown thing has really screwed up everything. Yeah, all the supply chains are a disaster for the, for all are. kinds of consumer products. Yes, the, the just in time type of supply chain really got goofed up. Yep, so it, it really it eventually straightened out, but it's gonna take a while. Well, the toilet paper was the, is the best example of that with everybody going crazy because yeah. you know it, you know you only had so much on hand, everybody bought it up, and then it took a while to get more. Because, oh yeah, and you hear you know the trucks weren't running as much as they were yeah and you get the news stories about the toilet paper plants that are trying so hard and because you know it you're affecting people's lives very very negatively very negatively that's <laughs> yeah. correct that's right nobody wants to run out of toilet paper that's right <laughs> sears doesn't make catalogs anymore like they used to so that's right you know, we, we, uh, i suppose we well, can fortunately we have a newspaper in this town that uh, you know it's well worth it well yeah that's true work for it yeah so. yeah uh, well i don't know how much longer we'll have it but yeah that's what I like. Well, you know, it. the Louisville Journal was very uh, foundational in uh, uh, Lincoln's uh, education and, and career. Uh, I forgot to mention that because, you know, there's that Louisville tie, obviously, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, which is precursor to the Louisville Courier Journal. Yes. So why did we morph these vigilante stories into these awesome films? 
I think it's or, a, or is that or is that the right thing? I mean, oh yeah, I think it is. The, yeah. the the superheroes have been out there forever. I think the it's films two things. are now successful, and and all this vigilantism it winds through a lot of them. again, some of them not as violent as others. Some of them trying not to be killers, and some of them. And you're right, the collateral damage was unrealistic in comics. It's all it should be there. Yeah. And, and now certainly there's a lot of collateral damage in the in the in Avengers Infinity War because literally half the entire freaking universe died. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, well, uh, I mean, it, but I think there's two reasons why uh, the the pop, most popular vigilantes now are comic book based uh, in the movies, mm-hmm. and that's uh, one. It's that Hollywood is just not that good anymore at taking stories and doing new versions of them. Yeah. You they, know, they have to they have to crib stuff. Well, no, 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 it's not even that. Because, you know, the same movies get made over and over. You just yeah. put, you know, with different titles and different characters and slightly different twists on them. It, it's always happened. Books are the same way. But Hollywood, I think, became a caricature of itself in that it couldn't even do that anymore and do it without being really without being really obvious about it. Yeah. And the other part is special effects. Yeah, that's a lot the of special right effects can now be done. There was a time in the eighties, I forget who said it, but somebody, or maybe it was the the late seventies, somebody wrote about the Kree Skrull War in the Avengers that it had to have been done in comic books because no movie could reproduce that. Mm-hmm. Well, forty years later, that's no longer true. That's right. Because as a matter of fact, we're going to have a little bit of that Kree, and we've had it in yeah. uh, Captain Marvel movie. Yeah, right. not the full blown war, but yeah. uh, you know we've seen that. That's right. And you know, you look at something as big as Avengers Endgame. You know, the the, the effects there are just mind blowing, and it's all, I don't understand how uh, how actors can even produce a, a decent performance anymore because most of them it's one guy in front of a green screen, and all the rest of it is is uh, put in digitally right. or or composited from uh, other things. Uh, so it's uh, you know, kudos to them for being able to produce something. But there's also that uh, so that that's part of why comic book movies are now possible and why they are preferable you know the big budget blockbuster you know more explosions the better uh it's almost like there's been so much of this violence and you know like martin you talked about earlier we become so inured to it uh to a certain degree that you, you have to keep upping the, the game right you have to keep up and the, the guy with the gun almost isn't really it's like yeah so what anymore yeah uh it, you know it doesn't uh, it doesn't seem to feed the need to be entertained or it doesn't provide that cathartic release. Yeah, it's a dopamine hit. And sure. when you get to the, the superheroes, it's new and fresh to the screen in the sense that it's done well visually. You can believe this more than Michael Keaton in a rubber uh, Batman suit. More than Reb Brown with his transparent uh, shield. Captain America shield. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Lord, yes. Uh, or, you know... Uh, 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 what was his name? Michael Hammond. Uh, uh, Hammond was the last name of the actor who did Spider-Man. Oh, oh no, no, no! It was. Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, Hammond was his last yes, name. Yes, it was. It was. Uh, I don't remember on it. If you had uh, Nicholas Hammond, thank you yes. very much. Yes. So who was in the Sound of Music as one of the children? Oh, okay. Richard, yes. So you know, it, those are very obvious. Okay, yeah, these are special. So we ha- we know we're suspending our disbelief. Now you don't have to actively suspend it because it looks pretty damn real. Mm-hmm. And yet they're, so they're taking this violence and they've added some new twists 
uh, in some, well, maybe they're not new, but they're certainly they're interesting because at least in the Marvel universe, it's a governed government sanctioned thing through Shield, right? Which kind of um, had to happen. If, well, if it's no, not continue. necessarily. I mean, it's, because you can still go there, yeah, but once I mean, you start pulling them all together, yeah. Because they they're co-opting the vigilantes. Well, and you're also drawing on the, you know yeah. this this. I mean, Shield is a direct uh, outgrowth of, of of James Bond. Right. That was Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, is 007. That's right. That was <laughs> exactly American. what it was intended to do. Yeah. And so that became such a huge thing in the background of Marvel that they almost could not not use it. Right. Uh, if they were to be true to the Marvel cinematic or to the Marvel universe, which to a large degree they have in a lot of ways. Well, it, yeah. They've <coughs> digressed in many ways, but not entirely. It provided a really good support structure in yes. the background. Yes, that to make it realistic. To make it realistic, that's right. Because even with Bruce Wayne's billions, I, he'd have a hard time financing all that stuff. That's right. Uh, you know, when you look at uh, uh, the Justice League in the comics... They had a freaking satellite at one point. Yeah. They had a freaking moon base. Yeah. Who pays for that? Uh, Bruce Wayne. That's no, what they, what they he say. He doesn't have that I kind know. of money. Yeah, that's, that's, that's trillions of dollars. I know. I know. In fact, it's, there's a there's a great line in the Star Trek in the, in the Justice League animated when they build the Watchtower. Uh, uh, Flash asks Bruce Wayne about how the hell did you do this. He says, "Oh, it's just a uh, a line on a development budget, uh, one a line item on a, a research and development budget, or something like that." Which is it's a way of addressing it, of course. Which you know, wink, wink, shake, shake. You know, yeah, it's yeah, that's not going to fly. Yeah, uh, Bruce actually, Wayne it has, didn't. It came down, but that's yeah, another story. But yeah, Bruce Wayne has that kind of money. The government's going to be all over him. He's not going to have it for long. Um, so. I, at least with Marvel, because obviously Marvel has been far more successful yeah. than, than DC's. Uh, DC has tried to hang on to that dark, uh, almost. Uh, well, uh, Christopher Nolan with the Dark Knight, yeah, told them because it made oodles of money. Said, "Oh, we've got to do this," and they've never let. But they that don't understand go. that's Batman's shtick. That's correct. They they've not. That's not Superman's and Wonder Woman's, and so or Flash or anybody else. That's right. And so it doesn't work when you because Batman in the Justice League. Is not the, not really the same Batman in his own books. Correct. I mean, he is, but he's got to be written a little bit differently. Yeah. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned the Christopher Nolan Batman because again, that's the vigilante story reemerging. Correct. In, yes. In a very modern way. Right. And, and it works very very much so. Yeah. Although, let's be real. The Dark Knight, the the, third, the second of those movies is the real movie in that. Yes. The first the first one was good. The third one was meh, but everybody remembers that one. And that's the one that the studio had said, oh my God, he made how much money? Let's continue to do that. Yeah. And they handed the, the franchise over to Zack Snyder, who had done a fantastic job with Watchmen, yes. which was uber dark by definition. And they said, well, hell, he knows how to do that. Let's let him do that. But he and did it, it in the did, wrong places. That's correct. Yeah. He, Superman is not the place to be dark. Justice right. League is not the that's, place to be dark. And that was the thing. By that time, they'd already handed in the keys. Yeah. So you And got, that, again, that's why the Marvel stuff worked, because the people they handed the keys to picked their spots. Right. Yes. To be Superman, edgy or, or not edgy or whatever. Iron Man is a vigilante. He absolutely is. But and he's also rogue, so he's got a lot of those elements. But you know, he's not personally harmed. He's just a playboy going. And honestly, he's that sweet spot. Yeah. He's that guy that has everything. He's good looking. He's got all the best toys. He's got all the hot women, and he's got this freaking suit of armor that is just so awesome. So he appeals in many ways to 
all the different right. uh, people who like right. these and sorts of things. The story He's the guy that everybody wants to be. Yeah. 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 The story of the character, though, is the part that's missing. Yes. A purpose. Yes. Well, what yeah, that, Steve that has makes, that makes him sustainable. Yeah. Other than that, he's and not. He, he's too. Well, that's why the two of them together make it the best. Yeah, and they come to respect each other because they realize, yes, Stark's got everything, but he has to learn the, a purpose. Yeah. What are you without your suit of armor? Steve had playboy, nothing. philanthropist, that's uh, a, yeah, entrepreneur. But yeah. Steve had nothing. He's but a kid. He had purpose. He's a kid well, from Brooklyn. Yeah, but you know, Steve was always the better man. Oh yeah. Uh, whereas Tony was always the guy he still wanted to be. Yes. Now Tony, in the end, he became what Steve. He became. He, he realized the ideal that Steve knew he could. Yes. Because uh, you know, Steve Rogers, he, in a way, he's a lot like Lincoln. He thinks everybody has greatness in them. You know. Right. Uh, which is one of the great things about Steve Rogers. You know, he. You know, he's still my favorite for yeah. all the superheroes. Yeah. Um, but yet they are all still vigilantes. But there, there's a lot of lightheartedness. You know, even Guardians of the Galaxy. Have yeah. a lot of vigilante elements mm-hmm. in them. Oh yeah, and they were, um, and that was a very, it was a sea change uh, with their very lighthearted piece. Yeah, yeah it was, it yeah. was unexpected in, for me. People. I mean, I'm still, it still boggles the mind that a, tra- a talking tree and a talking, ra- well, sort of talking tree and a, and a talking raccoon became some of the biggest superheroes yeah. ever. Well, yeah, because when they announced that movie, everybody that knew the comics said they're going to do what? Well, you know, when I first heard about it, I was thinking, oh, great, you know, the original Guardians. Well, Please make it too. be them. Yeah, the guys from the 30th century. And, uh, but it wasn't. It was no. the newer ones. I'm like, really? But the more and more, the closer and closer we got it, it well, worked out better. James Gunn deserved a lot of credit oh, yeah, for that yeah. because he took something that could have failed miserably and brought his own stamp to it and, and made it a spectacular yeah. success. And I think that's part of what makes these current vigilantes in the movies because you know the Marvel stuff dominates uh, all, mm-hmm. all, you know uh, practically everything um, but what makes them I think the most popular is partly that they've got that element of uh, you know one guy one girl against insurmountable forces still yeah. whether it be Thanos or Ultron or whatever or Loki, or the Chitari invading New York. I mean, there's plenty of really big bad guys mm-hmm. in all of this. And yet they're still lighthearted. They are still relatable. That's, again, you can't yeah. relate to Superman and Batman. They yeah. are not everyday enough. Well, the relationships between the characters became yes. very meaningful. They did. Again, we viewed Steve and Tony are not complete really kind of without each other. Tony's not complete without Steve. And that's one of the things that DC had going for it is because when DC worked, it's when the characters were interacting with each other. Yeah. That's when you... Because then when you didn't need to be everyday folks because you've got this banter between the two of them. But even so... they do it well. But even so in DC, they were never... I don't think they were ever relatable in that same kind of way. Not until you got into the 80s when you saw some of those 70s Marvel writers yeah. show up at DC in the late 70s yeah. and 80s. Yeah. But in the MCU, it works because of the relationships of the characters, and it works because, yeah, they made some tweaks, but they hung so much of it on what worked in the comics. Mm-hmm. And they stayed true to those characters, where, like you said, DC didn't they didn't hang enough off of what worked in the characters. They said, "Oh, well, we like you said, they just we got to go dark with well, everybody." Well, even in the comics, we got to go dark with everybody and it, Yeah. I mean, you can make the argument even in the comics in the in the late 90s and yeah. in, in 2000s that DC abandoned the original approach to the, the characters. I mean, you've got Wonder Woman snapping the neck of Maxwell Lord in uh, one of the comics that leads up to uh, 
Infinite Crisis, I think, is that particular one. Right. Uh, one of the, one of the many re- attempted reboots that DC has done of their their universe, and uh, that was kind of the whole point of the villain of that, who ended up being Superboy, mm-hmm. was that everything was so dark and dirty and mm-hmm. nasty, and you know where are the real heroes? And that was a wake up call. Uh, it should have been, but it still didn't fix anything. Yeah, it, it there misfired still a few has things. to be. A hero. Yeah, and, you know, all of the the Marvel characters are, we can see real people in that, you know. Uh, Tony Stark is is, uh, a lot of Howard Hughes uh, from the original Mm -hmm. uh, character. Uh, Now, you know, Tony Stark is his own icon. Uh, He's his own exemplar. Right, yeah, he's become um, he's become his own caricature, uh, and well, I, I'm not caricature, not in a bad way. It's no, just, I, it's, I, well, I don't I don't like caricature at all, and because yeah. it's it's too much of a uh, too contrived, too much of a joke of itself. Yeah, caricature means there's nothing inside. Yeah, where uh, you're just the the external person. He's his own icon. Yeah, okay. uh, I think that's a much better word. Yeah, um, and you know, it, it's it, it all of the Marvel characters just have that. They have those vulnerabilities that uh, they can be hurt. Look at Wanda in WandaVision. Uh, you can make an argument that that's a very much a vigilante story. She was grievously hurt. Mm. Uh, but, you know, granted, that was by Thanos, and you know she has no way to get back at him. Yes. Oh, she damn near did it in Endgame. Yes. You know, that's one of the great scenes in that movie. Uh, you know, when he says to her, you know, I don't even know who you are. He says, you will. That's right. And yeah. by God, he does when right. it's yes. done. It's like... Holy crap! I need some help here. Yeah, she's one of the most powerful. And she got, and she gets more powerful at the end of WandaVision with the the Darkhold. Um, But you know, she goes on. You know, she kind of snaps. Yeah. And she then loses her kids and her husband that she has created in this this uh, mindscape uh, in in this town. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see where they go with that because she could go very dark and true vigilante form. I don't think Mm -hmm. they're going to. But, you know, she's one that has got a lot of those elements, yeah. but she's still a sympathetic character. And that's, I think, the key to all of these guys. They have heart. The Marvel, uh, they, Marvel Well, I mean, not just the Marvel. They do. But, I mean, all of the, the vigilante stuff. Yeah. All of these guys are sympathetic. Yes. Because they have been hurt. Yeah. Right. Superman, it's hard to be sympathetic with him because he's God. I mean, <laughs> little G-God. And, yeah, he lost his parents and his entire culture and his planet, but he was a freaking baby. He doesn't remember any of no. it. And it was nobody's fault. No, I, right, it, it was nobody's... Well, depending on the... Depending on what version he writes. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was but, nobody on Earth's fault. It was right. nobody on Earth's That's fault. Right. Nothing that he... <laughs> um, you know, and there's... You know, he doesn't even know it. Yeah. And yeah. Batman is sympathetic because he lost his parents. Right. You know, yeah. so yeah. Um, Steve Rogers, uh, he's sympathetic because he's the everyman... Uh, you know, he's the guy, uh, Charles Atlas uh, character, you know, where he's getting sand kicked in his face. He's yeah. the guy getting beaten up by bullies. And, you know, for, for our, our character as a, as a culture, uh, you know, we don't like to see that. Right. Uh, and so he's sympathetic in that respect. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the, the you, know, you look at a lot of the characters, Hawkeye, he was a former, uh, not quite villain, but almost. Yeah. Uh, Black Widow was originally a villain, mm-hmm. and yet they all had something about them that was sympathetic enough to make them into heroes. So, and they use violence to redeem themselves. Yes, it's 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 a really a turn flipping a lot of things here. It is. I think it's a better culmination of the vigilante stories because 
far too often the, the stuff from the 70s, you know, it, it ends in a dark way. You know, yeah, you may get revenge, but, you know, what, where are you left after that? Yeah. You know, you're still an empty, uh, bitter man. Yeah. Uh, or if you're not, it, if you're it, not dead or in jail. Yeah, even though the police lieutenant lets you walk away, well, what's left? Right. You might as well just put a gun in your mouth. Yeah. Um, but with the, the superheroes, the interesting thing is they have maintained that turning that, that, that hurt, that anger, that, that harm that was done to them into something good. And so I like to think of these as a culmination, a fulfillment of that potential. Because like I said, the, some of these vigilante stories is the hero's journey. Yeah. The superhero stuff is the fulfillment of it where the, the, the potential hero is triumphant for good, not just for revenge. Yes. Yes. Because if it's only about revenge, it's not sustainable as a genre, I think. That's exactly right. Yeah, uh, you get one story out of that, right? Yeah, and, and, and but it, had, it yeah. has to be resolved in there that that immediate moment. But it has to be a transformation of the character to go on to something else to do good yeah. rather than just and, revenge. Well, that's correct, and it can be uh, that's the revenge can be a meta in many ways. The Punisher does that. The Executioner does that. There's never going to be enough. Well, well and that's part of their flaw, which that's I right. get. Yeah, but far too often that's kind of it's, that's not delved into because I'm, that's not the point because the character is there to sell more books. And that's comments. correct. That's right. So, yeah. <laughs> so you have to keep that there so they can I mean, keep. That's why the Punisher then fights alongside heroes at times, and you know he goes after supervillains. Sure. Which, I mean he's a guy with a sniper rifle. Come on. I mean lots lots of really nice toys. Don't get me wrong. Oh well, yeah. Well, but he's a normal guy. Yeah. Although there was a time actually where uh, he was cut into small little pieces. Oh yes, Frankencastle. Frankencastle. That's right. Yes. And sent to and his body was on Monster Island of all things, and they really went to this weird uh, horror bent with the character for like a year, year and a half or so, where he basically becomes a. Uh, a mishmash of all his parts, <laughs> as like Frankencastle. He and eventually he gets restored. You know, timey wimey okay. magic, whatever, whatever does that. Yeah. But it was a very interesting, different way of presenting the character. Yeah. Uh, he's still a badass. He's just a Frankenstein badass. Yeah. And it was uh, very well. Different. Let's let's wrap this up because again, I found this super fascinating. That again, you could tie these stories from this unique moment of. American history of this, like everything's gone off the rails. There's violence, assassinations, Vietnam, Watergate, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. Yeah, and then wind it all the way through, back and forward, to Batman, to Punisher, to Tony Stark, to everything. Um, it's really fascinating stuff. And and Robert, you you you, I think you really. Squeeze it all together into there has to be redemption, yeah, to the character for it to continue to work. And we saw a little bit of you know, Dirty Harry gets a little bit redeemed later on, um, you know, and, and why some of these fall away is the character never does get really there's nothing else to it but violence. That's why I think uh, the Punisher in the comics has had so many series, yeah, is that. You know, you run out of that that whole revenge motif. You know, Batman morphed. Right. Yeah. He would. He he could be many other things depending on the writers. Right. Yeah. Uh, when you and now, be... and you could argue that well, you've lost the character because he's morphed so many times, and that's maybe. Mm, but yeah, I think that can be valid. He 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 was he had certain things built in the detective business. 
that's a, that's a reason to keep him fresh. Because yeah. he's that's not just the vigilante, you know. That's just doing something that only he can do. Well, Sherlock Holmes the entire. I, I think yeah. what's where it works best is it is when they play on that because when he, as his his role as the protector of Gotham, right? Yes. When he loses that, that's why I don't think I don't think he should be in the Justice League because it takes him away from Gotham. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, but he's too damn popular not to. I know. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, you know, it's like having Frank Castle use rubber bullets. You know, it's just not right. That's not right. That's right. All right. So, well, let me just finish by saying, I'm Batman. <laughs> Francis, buddy. I don't so, know. What are we, well, what are we doing next? Well, we're doing history next. Yes, yes it is history. What's, what's next is we're continuing our World War II uh, theme for the year with the rise of fascism. Oh yes. yes, this will be a meaty episode, most definitely. So indeed, yeah. This how is kind of like happen? how did it happen? That's exactly right. It's kind of more about the backstory uh, leading up to World yes. War II, uh, and it's, it's more than that though, because fascism is not just World War II; it's other things too. Yes. We're going to discuss that. We're going to go deep into what it is, what it isn't, why we should pay attention to it, and how it's still around. Ooh. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week, same snake time, same otter channel.